0: so good to be with you again this morning. And if you've turned up here today, it's not an accident that you're here. The Lord wanted you to be here. And it's times like this when He can change the course of your life, where suddenly things can happen. He can heal you. He can set you free. And um, you can suddenly find that things that you've had as baggage for a long time, the Lord can um, heal you and and clean your attic out and set you free. So this morning we look forward to what the Holy Spirit's going to do. It's also so really good this morning for me to have my wife Kay here, my, my wife but also my girlfriend. From, and um, Kay and I have been married for 41 and a half years. And Kay and I are gonna do a song for you this morning. And it relates to what I'm going to be preaching on. And I'm so glad to have Kate. She's got, she's uh, we we first fell in love when we were in a band together. This is a song that's always meant a lot to us, and it never ages as well because it's it's always um, about the scripture itself that has. As it says in Hebrews, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And there's something about it: it's alive, it's active, it's living. So as we sing this song, we hope that it ministers to your spirit.
1: My shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still water. He restores. Soul, and guides my path in righteousness for his name's sake. Surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The shadow of death I will not fear Thou art with me Thy rod and thy stuff They comfort me Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemy Surely goodness and loving kindness Shall follow me all The days of my life loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of shall not want.
0: I hope that rings somewhere in your in your belly you know like as you start to understand what the 23rd psalm is about it's about Jesus being sovereign over our lives It's about him being the one who cares for us and nurtures us. Let's just pray before we open the word of God this morning. Father, we just thank you that you are here, that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that these are the times when you baptize us afresh, where you fill our cup to overflowing, and that, Father, in these times as well, that we can feel your breath, that we can know what it is for you to do surgery on our hearts at times. And for those times when we get to the end of ourselves, Lord, that you're the shepherd of our souls. When we can't do it, you're responsible. You're the one who carries us. And I just pray this morning, Father, that you will just awaken our hearts, that you will just, Lord be closer than our heartbeat, and that you will heal. For some who are here, Lord, that need healing, I just pray that you will just touch them. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to read to you one verse out of Psalm 23, which is my text. And it's, it's an easy psalm, isn't it, because we all know it so well. But it says this, it says... He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. You know, it's something that I found in the last couple of weeks ago, I was reading the psalm and I thought, I've never seen it in that way. You know how it is with the word of God. Sometimes it just jumps out at you and you think, oh, that's fresh, that's new. I've read that so many times. But suddenly you see that the Lord as our shepherd is responsible for us. Look, we know that there's a partnership. We know that we're the ones that that are required as disciples to, to yield and to surrender and to, you know, to give up and to, have open and honest hearts, they're still still in the contract, that partnership that we have with Jesus. And it's that relationship that we have with him where we're still, we must have a clean slate. We must be honest. We must be open and we must be ready to to get up and to walk. But under the contract as well, Jesus says that he's, He looks after us. He's responsible for you. When you can't do it and when you're at the end of yourself, that's when he comes in under the contract as the shepherd of your soul, and he's the one that carries you, that looks after you, that heals you, that picks you up when you can't do it yourself. How many of you have seen that picture that which is the footprints in the sand? Look, how many times have we seen that? But that's a picture of this contract because it says that you see the two footprints in the sand and then then you see one set of footprints and the person says to the Lord, Lord, you know, suspecting that's the time when Jesus left them and they had to walk it alone, Lord, why is there only one set of footprints? And the Lord says to them, no, that's, that's the time when I had to carry you. They're my footprints. And I think we need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus is watching over you. He is looking at you, how you're growing, as a father would for, the, for a child. He, he, he knows what you're going through. He knows your tears. He knows your loneliness. And I know with a lot of Indonesian students, I think the, the most dangerous thing is loneliness. You know, you've got to watch your heart when you're lonely. You've got to make sure that you protect yourself because you're vulnerable when you're lonely. They're the times you've got to find some friends to go and have a laugh with. But, but also, they're the times when Jesus will pick you up and carry you. You need, to, you need to be aware that as the shepherd of your soul, there are times when you just put up your hands and you go, You say, honestly, I can't do it anymore. You're not saying I quit, but you're saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't cope with this. And in those times, Jesus comes and he breathes. He brings people around you. He sends the cavalry. There'll be things that he will do and unlock, and he will will be the one that protects you. The promise is that he will bring you to a quiet place. He will walk with you by rivers of water and he will restore your soul. He heals your soul. He builds you up again so that you can be like the energizer bunny. You can suddenly find that extra power pack to be able to get up and to run. I think it's one thing that as a a minister for many years, you imagine what it's like being a pastor and as a minister of the gospel where everyone expects you to be on top of your game all the time. You know, you imagine what it's like on a Sunday when you you preach and you just don't preach one Sunday. you, You preach regularly and nearly every Sunday and you've got to get up there and you have to it doesn't matter whether you know you've you've had a bad morning it doesn't matter whether you've grown, you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed or that you've had to yell at the kids or the cat or the, whatever it is you've got to you've got to find a, a well within you that that you can just tap into at any time The anointing of the Lord that is there is not bound by what you're going through. Here's a secret. To find the wellspring and the still waters of your life, it's to be able to tap into the Holy Spirit anytime, anywhere, and still be able to get up honestly. Because the thing is, when you get up and you preach and you've had a bad morning or you've, you know, Someone's cut you off on the way to the service. I'm prone to get angry at times like that. I'll admit it. There's times when you just you become very human. And that's okay. As long as you say sorry afterwards. Or <laughs> It's okay to be human. But you've got to find a place to dwell with Jesus as your shepherd where you walk beside the living still waters and for him to do his surgery and to restore your soul. There's a secret place. There's a place where you can always go and you can always find peace and you can always find an abundance of water That takes away the thirstiness of your soul. This morning, I just want to talk a little bit about sometimes where He, you know, there's a place of living where you just you just under the water spout, where the blessings of the Lord and the river flows. And but what do you do when you get into the wilderness and you get into those dry places and you get into a place where you don't know what's gone wrong? And you say, Lord, where's where were your footprints? Think in those times we need to recognise sometimes we just need to be still. King David talked about it where he said, I can't even pray. He says the heavens are like brass. It's just like that living relationship I've got has just turned mechanical. And I just can't feel you, God. David knew the secret because he said as well, Lord, don't take me up from here unless your Holy Spirit goes with me. I need to know your presence. I just want to talk a little bit just for a moment about the Lord restoring our soul, how it works in our life, you know, that there are times too where the Lord has to take you back. He has to heal you. And his surgery in you is, it's not something that is ever judgmental or is there to hurt you, but sometimes he takes you back so that he can correct things, so that he can pour in the oil and the wine into the deepest, deepest part of your being. And sometimes you may not recognize that it's the Lord, but what I have found in my life is there's been times where, you know, older Christians used to say sometimes you have to go around the mountain to learn the lesson. Sometimes the Lord takes you on a detour so that he can do a deeper work within your life. I just want to look at the life of Peter because he's the great example of someone who had his soul restored. In fact, in 2 Peter, in the second chapter, he talked no, first chapter, he talks about the, the essentials of our faith and how to protect your heart and he talks about the things you need to do to stop you from failing and he's saying it as someone who's failed. <laughs> it's, it's the thing about Peter, isn't it? He was, he was such a big mouth. He was always someone who, um, as it says that, he, had a, he always just opened his mouth either for good or for bad. One moment he's saying to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of a living God, and Jesus is saying to him, yeah, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter, but the Holy Spirit himself has revealed that. The Father has revealed that to you to, for you to know that I'm the Messiah, that I am the son of God, that coming out of your mouth is from the Spirit of God. And in the same chapter at the end when Peter is trying to tell Jesus that he's not going to die, that he's not going to go to Jerusalem and die, that's wrong, And then Jesus turns to him and what does he say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Satan. (laughs) So the things that are coming out of his mouth there are from Satan. You know, Peter's just one of those guys that just can't help himself and um Jesus prophesies over Peter, and we know that he says peter says to him i am go- I'm gonna die for you, Lord, I'm prepared to die for you." So they're coming to the cross and they're in gethsemane and and Judas iscariot is is turned up with all of the with all of the soldiers or the or the the guards from the high priests house the high priest's own home guard and they've come to arrest Jesus in the garment in the garden of Gethsemane and it says that Peter's first response was he grabbed a sword and he stood there to defend Jesus and he he chopped off the ear of one of the servants of of Caiaphas the high priest and it says that Jesus then turns around to Peter and says put away your sword. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword. And then he, he grabs the ear that's lying on the ground and then he puts it back on and then he heals the servant. In the moment that he knows that he's about to be taken to be crucified, he, he heals the servant's ear. Peter puts his sword away and then he, you know that he starts to back off and the disciples start to move into the shadows and Jesus is arrested and bound and then they take him to the judgment hall of the high priest. And then when he's there, Peter's sort of skulking around and he's, he's scared, he doesn't know what's going to happen, but it says he sneaks in to the courtyard And this is what it says in Luke chapter 22. Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter follows from a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them and a certain servant girl seeking him out, he sat by the fire looked intently at him and said this man was also with him but Peter denied him saying woman I do not know him and after a little while another saw him and said to him you also are of them but Peter said man I am not then after about an hour, as he sitting by that same fire, another confidently came to him and said, surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said to him, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the Peter that Jesus had prophesied would have the keys of the kingdom, would open up the kingdom, not just only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And here he is, one moment, he's the esteemed apostle, disciple alongside Jesus. The next he's denying him, and he denies him three times, fulfills the prophecy of Jesus. And I just can't imagine this, but Jesus has already been beaten. He's already been at the point where he's been in... in um in bonds. He's got his his hands tied. They've been pulling his beard out. They've been spinning on him. They've been. He knows at this point where he's headed as a lamb that has led to the slaughter. He knows where he's going. And all of the, you imagine what that is like. And he's he's listening to the judgments and the accusations that are being put to him. But in all of that noise and in all of that pressure that he's under, the rooster crows. And he knows that Peter has denied him three times. And in all of that, it's like time stands still. Suddenly, everything around it, just, you know, those moments where you're just in the zone and time stands still. It says that Jesus looked at Peter He makes eye contact across the room as Peter's near the fire in the shadows and he looks into his soul and then Peter remembers the word of the Lord and he knows that he's failed. He knows at that moment he's broken and it's not going to be put put together very easily. And it says at that moment, That's it. Peter gave up. He went out and he wept bitterly. And I wonder what that look is like. I wonder, you know, the Jesus I know, it wouldn't been a look of judgment. It would have been the look of a friend. There would have been some pity, but there would have been some understanding. And I think that as he looked at Peter would have been a look of compassion. Because I know that Jesus understands, it says in Hebrews, he understands our humanity. Jesus never gives up. He's never going to give up on you. I don't care what you think you've done. He's your shepherd and he's the restorer of your soul. I want to show you how Jesus restored Peter's soul. Can we just go to John and chapter 21, the gospel of John? It's a bit of a story, but it's a good story. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, that was um, Andrew and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, oh, we will also go with you. So they went out in immediately into the boat and labored all that night and they caught nothing. And When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he, he said to them, put your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Now, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved And you'll find John talking about himself all through this gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the disciple who leaned on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. This is John the Apostle, and he's saying, (laughs) he doesn't want to mention his name, but he says, The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were around about 200 meters offshore, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and the fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Isn't that nice that Jesus has already got fish? He's already got bread and he's got a fire for them. But he says to them, no, bring some of your fish as well. There's a sermon in that in itself. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of a large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus had shown himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself up and you walked where you wanted to when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he spoke and prophesied concerning the death of Peter. And we know that this gospel was written as probably after Peter had been crucified. This is a picture of how the Lord restores our souls. This is a picture of sometimes where the Lord as our master and our king and our Lord and our surgeon sometimes takes us back to places so that he can do some surgery on us. When Peter denied Jesus, it says he's sitting by a fire. Did you notice that? He's sitting by the fire to get warm. And the smoke's all over him and the colds are there. And he's, you know, when the moment happened, he's sitting by a fire. But when Jesus, the good shepherd, comes to take that thorny ground and those those cancerous things out of Peter's life and to reverse the denials and the failure that he had, he brings him back to the fire. He brings him back to the place where he's going to sit there with the smoke on him again and the colds on him. He's feeding his body, but he's also healing his soul. And we find that what he does is though there were three denials that Peter made. Now he takes him to that place and he's going to make him in front of those disciples, reverse that, and he asks him and he gets that recommitment from his heart to say, Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know. Yes, Lord, I love you. And in those moments, he pours in and injects his soul with the oil and with the wine and he heals him and he brings him back and, and covers off that humanity and those moments of failure and now he's setting him up and prepare him, preparing him for his call and for his destiny and for the things that he's going to have to do under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus does it. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't finished with you. There are times when he just has to take you back and the smell of the smoke and the fire will help you remember. But at the same time, that's when he does his deepest work. This isn't psychobabble. This is the operation of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. I know a few years ago when I was pastoring out in the hills, I remember that we had a youth group that was wild, really wild. It was a non-church youth group that we ran. We ran it like a police boys club, so we did boxing, wrestling. We had some, a lot of criminals in it. We had one kid that often used to steal a car on the way home. I know one year he stole 135 cars. So we were in and out of court helping kids and it was like a, a gang, you know. But the police got to know us as well, so they'd come knocking if they were looking for someone. Or, But we worked with the police and we worked with the local schools. And the police one time called me and said, look, we've got this young man. We're just wondering if you can help him with some counselling. Um, he's, he's been a good kid up till now, but he's just taken a pathway. And they said to me that he was around about, I think, 10 years old at the time. No, he was nine. He was about nine years old and he was hanging out with another young man, a young boy. Who was about the same age? They said, Look, he's been charged. He's, him and his mate burnt a house down. So they got into this, like a, a vacant house, and they burnt it down. And they said, Look, can you help him? We don't know why, but he's, he's, his father ran a business in the town. He was, you know, he was a well known kid. So when I started, I visited the family and we started talking, and the father said to me, He's turned since last year and he's something's gone wrong. And I said, well, what happened? What was the moment? And he said, oh, him and another mate were down by the Yarra River. They were playing, but they were playing along a stretch of the river and they were just mucking around. But his friend slipped into the river and was drowned. And he said, from that moment, he's been cracked. So I spent some time, not a lot, you know, it was just a little bit of time just getting to know him and then I visited him a few weeks in a row and then I talked to him. I don't even know if they were really strong Christians. They were more nominal. But I remember that I talked to this kid about his heavenly father that his heavenly Father knew where he was and had a plan for his life. And, and then I, I said to him, come on, we're going down to the river. And I got him to show me exactly in the section of the river where his friend had slipped in and drowned. And I said, now I'm going to pray for you. So while we were standing at that place, I laid hands on him, on his mind and on his just on his head, And I started to pray about the Father's love, about the Father's release and about, you know, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't anybody's blame. It was just one of those things that happened. And I just prayed healing into his mind and I prayed for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there weren't any bolts of lightning or anything like that. It was just a moment. But he cried he really cried and then we just got back in the car and I drove him home and I didn't see him after that in fact I've never seen him again after that except say that there are people I know have seen him and I watched him over the next years as he went into high school I watched as he became a school captain I watched as I saw his face pop up in the local newspaper in sporting events, and then we lost touch. But I know that he didn't come under notice with the police again, that something changed and something happened at that moment in his life. And I, you know, maybe he made a choice too, but at the same time, I think the Lord. Got deep into him and healed him. That's the Jesus I know. And it's the Jesus I know for us today that you may feel forgotten. You may feel that God's a long way off, like David sometimes did. You may feel that you've done something that you just can't sort out. You may find that you're caught in a trap, or you just feel lost. Jesus is closer than your heartbeat. He's the shepherd of your soul. He's a healer. And this morning, he wants to take you back and he wants you to find that pathway again. And he wants you to experience freedom that's the promise that we have as king's kids. We're called to liberty. We're called to freedom. We're called to a place where we live under the sunshine and the sunlight of his grace and of his presence. And when we wake up in the morning, we wake up in his presence. When we go through our day and things get tough, we can still hide. We can be like Superman. We can get into our telephone box, or you won't find any of those anymore, but you can get into the telephone box and you can put on the anointing of God and experience what it is to live a victorious Christian life as a disciple of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that, well, for some that feel trapped this morning, for some that feel like they're just losing their fire, that, Lord, you will heal, that you will break through and that, Lord, you will pick them up, you will carry them and you will do something, Father God, to set them again with their feet upon a rock. We just love you, Jesus. And I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will just touch lives, touch minds. For those that need your surgery, Father, take them back gently and lovingly. Help them to find the pathway again, Lord, so that they can be those who run the race with confidence. We just pray this in your precious name.